Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome. This is the Investor Coaching Show. And I am Paul Winkler. Talking the world of money and investing, and it's just me, myself, and I today. We, we have uh, two guests, myself and I, <laughs> I guess is the okay. way that it goes. Well, you know, it's, well, you two live it, I guess. <laughs> uh, so I'm here. There is, uh, there, there's something going on in stock markets right now that I want to just start off talking about only because it was at the top, top of my pile of stuff to talk about. There has been something kind of crazy going on with stock markets that's not necessarily great because, you know, you hear me talk about mutual fund companies and how they don't tend to diversify as much as they should. Now, sometimes that can work in your favor when they don't diversify as much as they should because if the area that they're diversified, that they're actually in or overexposed to, does well, well, that bodes well, you know, but if you have, and as in most of the time, you're going to find the area that they don't own as much does better, then you, then you got a problem on your hands. So one of the things that has been happening in the news lately is this whole thing, AI, and I've talked a lot about it, artificial intelligence, and then you got this tech thing that went on in the late 90s that many of you may remember. In the late 90s, tech stocks were rocking. I mean, I was, here I am, I'm studying this academic research on investing and just intrigued with what was being talked about. But in reality, for me to have actually gone that direction, that took some gumption. I'm telling you, it took some gumption. Because that, that whole time you've got, the tech rally going and, and these companies are doubling technology every 18 months and it was just going crazy. And then all of a sudden you have these academics out there going, you know, uh, don't get uh, over excited about tech stocks because you can go long periods of time with no returns whatsoever. And here's where returns come from. And I was like, oh God, you know, yeah, okay, you guys are making a ton of sense. Because think about it, when I'm investing, let's say that I'm investing in, oh, let's say large technology companies, and I think this is going to rock, this is going to be the area that is going to carry us, we're going into the new world, the new realm, and now technology is going to be how the whole world changes. And of course, you look at that and go, well, I want to be investing in those companies, right? It only makes sense I should be investing in the companies that are going to reign supreme with the new technology that's coming along. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Absolute perfect sense. Now, what doesn't make any sense is the second part of this. As an investor, should I think, oh, these companies that are going to reign supreme, they're going to, be, they're going to have the world by the tail and they're going to be doing great and everything's going to be wonderful, by the way, they're going to want to pay more to use your money than any other company out there. That doesn't make any sense. 
And that's what got me. That's what actually resonated with me was when they're going, hey, you know, there's a cost of capital. And when you're investing in the stock market, there's a cost to use your money. And by the way, the companies that have to pay the most to use your money tend to be the companies that are most out of favor, not the companies that are most in favor. And you think about that and go, well, yeah, that that does kind of make some sense, doesn't it? That those would be the companies that would have to pay the most to use your money. Well, what happens is every once in a while, something comes out and you cannot predict investor behavior. Investors will just not be rational. And they will bid up the price of companies that they think are going to benefit from whatever changes are coming about. And that is exactly what has been happening recently. And the, the companies that have been benefiting most, like Apple, NVIDIA, Meta, uh, you know, Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, you know, these companies have been benefiting greatly from recent things happening in markets, but only because people are bidding them up like crazy. Now, I am a person that goes, hey, you know what? Markets are efficient. I, I can't predict when these companies are going to go up. I can't predict when they're going to go down either. And the idea is that, look, I don't know when people are going to all of a sudden go, you know, this doesn't make sense what we're doing, bidding these companies up. You don't know. There's no way to predict that. It's just like with Bitcoin. It's just, you know, you can watch it go up and go up and go up and go up, but you don't know when it's going to come back down. You just don't know. You know, when Warren Buffett was asked that, and he says, hey, you know, you've been wrong about this. He goes, no, not necessarily. It was at 60-something thousand, and it, come, it has come down significantly. But when it will come down to nothing, I have no idea. You know, you can't predict those types of things. And will it come down to nothing? Who knows? You just really don't know those types of things. But I just know it's not just a – it's not something that is, from an investing standpoint, uh, not a really great investment to jump into. Well, you know, because of the fact that it's not an investment, there's no cost of capital, there's no cost to use your money, it goes up and down based on supply and demand. But this is what's been happening lately, is these companies, and they've had, uh, they had, uh, oh gosh, this, this, there, it was named after some movie, some of you probably know what it was, it was an old western movie, and they, they've been calling these stocks after this name of the movie, like the Magnific Magnificent Seven or something like that. Uh, maybe some of you know what that movie is. I, I think that was a um, an old Western. And, and <laughs> see, I'm so pathetic when it comes to movies. I really am. But uh, one of these days, I'm going to have time and I'm going to watch movies. You wait. And then all of a sudden, the show's going to change and all the metaphors are going to change. But uh, not now. So what happened is these companies, and why is this important? Well, you, when you look at index portfolios, you will see that these companies are overwhelmingly represented by index funds. So you end up with these portfolios and you think, hey, I'm really well diversified. I got a total stock market fund or I got an S&P 500 fund, but you don't recognize. And this is what basically what has been happening. The market's biggest tech stocks have, have overpowered, says this one article, the S&P 500 so far this year, driving the vast majority of the benchmarks, benchmarks year-to-date gains. I mean, just the vast majority. It's, it's been a huge part of the gains of this benchmark that has been driven by just a couple of companies. And that is what happens is with these portfolios, since they're overweighted with these companies, 
you have this false sense that everything is great. And that's what this article, the premise of the article in um, the street was, is Apple, NVIDIA, uh, Meta, uh, lead market rally. Why that's not good is, is basically what this person is saying. And I, I agree. It, it can be very dangerous for people because they think things are better in that market than they necessarily are. And because mutual fund companies tend to market based on cost and management fees, they will tout this and go, hey, look, see this S&P 500 fund, this total U.S. market fund, look how great it is. You know, look at the returns. And also it's really super, super cheap. And that can be a problem. Matter of fact, you know, let me hit that for a second. I think it's really important that I hit this particular topic. Uh, that cheap, you know, and, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not opposed to keeping costs down. I think it's important to keep costs down. I think that is an important thing. So don't get me wrong about this. And you know, but here's the thing that I find that bothers me. It bothered me when the diet industry basically said fat free, fat free, fat free. You got to get rid of fat. Well, yeah, you got to get rid of fat on you, I guess, is probably a good thing. But getting rid of fat out of food actually takes away all the flavor. And when the flavor's all taken away, people won't buy it anymore. So they've got to do something to get you coming back. And what they did is they started adding sugar. And adding sugar does what? Uh, obviously adds fat, but a lot of times it adds fat in really bad places that you don't even detect it is the problem that you run into. And you end up with even worse health problems. I'll leave that to the diet shows to, to talk about. But I think it's important to draw the parallel that what we're looking at here is cost low, cost low, low cost, you're an owner. You know, that's you see these ads and you think, oh, low cost, low cost, oh, that's all I have to do. And there are fun companies out there that's 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 their primary marketing scheme is just that. Well, because I'm ornery, I decided to do a little study. And I, I do a lot of things because I'm ornery, but you know, studies is one of them that's probably one of the more redeeming things that I do. But I was looking at a target date fund. That, you know, and you know, I chose Vanguard's target date fund, but there are other target date funds uh, that are like it. Schwab, I think, has some that are that are pretty much just like it. Fidelity has one that's just like it. But I use I use that, uh, you know, because that is really a big, big marketing push for that company. And I don't have a dog in the fight. If we wanted to use Vanguard for our investor portfolios, we would. Matter of fact, they market heavily to financial advisors. It's not that. The point is, I just want you to get that sometimes you're being marketed to. If you can get this, then you don't get, you don't get fooled by it. But basically what they have is they got a target 2050 fund. 53% of the money in that fund is in a total stock market fund, total U.S. stock market fund. Owns like 3,500 companies. Now, most of the money is in those stocks that I just named. The management fee is extremely low, 0.02. I mean, you look at that and go, wow, uh, for every $100,000, 20 bucks a year. I mean, really, really cheap, right? Um, so you look at that and go, wow, that, you know, it's really inexpensive. Uh, the 35% of the money is in the total international fund, 0.17% management fee. It doesn't get much lower than that, right? So you look at those two things and go, wow, that's all I have to do is just invest in that. I've got the total U.S. market. I've got the total international market. And what I did is I said, hey, no, let's, let's look at this. Let's do, and you know, let's go in and, and look at what actually happened if I invested in these funds starting in January 1st of the year 2000. 
and that happens to be near and dear to me because that's when I opened this company. And I stopped, I, I stopped looking at December 31st of 2009. So it's a 10-year period. Now, if I had put my $100,000 in that total U.S. stock market fund, what would it be worth? Answer is the, the $100,000 would have grown to 97300 No, not grown. It shrunk. <laughs> yes, you got that right. It actually shrunk by $3,000. The total international fund, however, went up a little. It went up from 100000 to 125409 Okay, now, what if I was just like, you know, I think I'm going to go the other way. I'm just going to buy a small value fund, which would be not represented in that portfolio. But I'm going to buy small value stocks because I heard Paul say on the Investor Coaching Show, now that you don't go and do all your money here, by the way, don't, don't take that from this. But I'm going to put my money in... Uh, small values, because smaller companies have a higher expected return than large, and value has a higher expected return than growth historically. And that's you know really literally after I had been studying all this academic research and going, hey, this is what we ought to have in a portfolio. We ought to have something in here. But nobody was even talking about it at that point in time, 20 years ago, 23 years ago. So if we look at this and we say, what if I put my money in the total U.S. stock market fund, it shrunk. Total international, it went up by $25,000. What if I went and put all my money in the three very highest management fee mutual funds that invest in that area of the market that I mentioned, small value, U.S.? What would have happened? My $100,000 would have grown to 252616 even after the management fees, yes. Nick Scully going, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So it's literally not quite triple what the total U.S. stock market was, but it's two and a half times anyway, a little bit over two and a half times. Okay. Now let's, let's, well, but, but Paul, you're cherry picking 2000 to 2009. Oh no, let's go from 2000 through 2022. Let's look at that whole period of time. Now, what was the return of the total U.S. stock market. Well, the market had a big recovery, right? So now that $100,000 is $343,000. Much better. $343,000. How about the total international? $189,000. If I had split it between the two, it's $266,000. If you're trying to do the math on what if I put half my money in one, half my money in the other. But let's just look at the higher returning one, the one that grew to one hundred. Uh, grew to 343000 What if I just put all my money in the three highest cost mutual funds in small value stocks, an area that wouldn't be represented in that portfolio? $670,000. That's just a little higher. A little higher. And really, and if you want to just ages value uh, institutional funds, uh, James Small Cap Fund, American Century Small Cap Value Fund. Those are the three highest cost. I don't recommend going and buying these funds, by the way, because there are much better ways to capture the asset category. But my point being is this. I want you to get that you are often being sold a bill of goods, but it sounds so righteous. It sounds so good to just be talking about keep the management fees as low as you. Yes, yes, keep management fees low. 
but don't myopically only focus the, on that and act like it is some kind of an investment strategy. It is not. It is only part of the picture. And that's the problem with investment markets in general. We're sold that so many different things drove what the market did today. The market went up today because the Fed Reserve burped. No, that's not the reason the mark went up. Mark, it'll be part of the reason. It'll be one of many reasons. But there are lots of different reasons that markets go up and down. And I want you to get that you are getting pulled in on marketing all the time. And that is why education and becoming an educated investor is so stinking important. I am Paul Winkler, here to do just that. You're listening to the Investor Coaching Show. Hey, folks, I want to tell you something I'm really excited about. My new book, Confident Financial Planning, is finally out. It's in paperback, hardcover, Kindle version, and I actually have an audiobook version of it. Uh, it talks about building your financial castle. I use that throughout the book, talking about your investments, your financial plan is kind of like a castle. You have your savings and your emergency funds. I talk about that, debt, good debt, bad debt. We talk about special goal funds and how to set those things up and how to invest for those types of special things that you might want to do in the future. Types of retirement accounts, different types of taxation of investment accounts. Talk about real estate investing and pros and cons of that, how to project retirement assets and your moat. You know, that's how you protect your castle. It's the risk management aspect of a financial plan. If you want to find out more about that, you go to paulwinkler.com forward slash book to get it and uh, hope you enjoy all right back here on the investor coaching show paul winkler talking about the world money and investing one thing i want to remind you of is a lot of times i don't get into tax planning financial planning topics as much here on this show uh it is the investor coaching show it's and you know quite frankly why because it's not because i don't know that stuff it's because it's boring <laughs> Isn't that terrible to say? I just, I just think that that stuff is dull. But I, I think it's important. I think it's important. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> and what I want to let you know is, if you're like, I want to know, like the new tax law stuff. What does Secure Act 2.0 have in it? What's, uh, what's going on with how that affects retirement? Go to my website. I don't want to make my show the tax law changes. <laughs> every time and walk through that stuff. I want to talk about the news of the day and the tax law changes happened months ago. <laughs> That's old stuff. And you can go to the website, paulwinkler.com. You will notice that one of the things I do there is I put webinars on the website, paulwinkler.com. And the webinars are there to talk about the tax law changes legacy plan planning things that you need to know about. Uh, tax planning through the four phases of retirement was a recent one that we did. We talked about Secure 2.0, how simple plans are changing and set plans are changing and Roths are being actually added to those two types of things and, and when they're a good idea, when they're not such a good idea, the risks to your retirement and Medicare workshops I have on there, Social Security workshops. I mean, there literally isn't anything that you might want to know more about that isn't sitting there on that website required minimum distributions how they are changing and how you know it was funny because i was actually showing somebody the other day that particular workshop we were talking about required minimum distributions and the, the issue was this 
It was somebody in their 70s because, you know, most of you know that they've got a couple changes went from 70 and a half to 72 for required minimum distributions. Then they went and switched to age 73 and they got 75 for some people, depending on your year of birth and blah, blah, blah. And you know, what you have to do is you have to pull money out of retirement accounts so that the government can get some of their tax money at some point. Cause when you put money in a retirement plan, like a 401k or a 403b or a simple plan or a set plan, if they're a traditional type of a plan, you get a deduction when you put the money in. Then when you pull the money back out later on, you're taxed at that point in time. And for a lot of people, you're not working anymore. So therefore what ends up happening is your tax rate ends up being likely lower than it was when you put the money in. You know, you might be avoiding a 22% bracket right now or a 24% tax bracket right now, uh, maybe even up to 37% for some people. And go, well, you know, my likelihood when I'm in retirement, I might be, you know, some of my income is going to be taxed at zero. And then, you know, if I get above a certain amount of income, that income gets taxed at 10. And if I get above the next threshold, it's taxed at 12. And above that threshold is 22. And it just depends what happens with tax law changes going forward as what those numbers are going to be. But you've always had this graduated tax system. You know, so in essence, for a lot of people, you might likely be in a lower bracket in the future. And you got to be really, really conscious of that when you're doing your planning. So when we look at those required distributions, that's what they are. That tells you when you've got to pull that money back out. Well, one of the things that I did is, you know, talking about those required distributions and how the government actually got it right to this one client I was talking to. And they're like, oh, I like the title of that workshop. You know, did the, did the government get something right? <laughs> they don't normally get a lot of stuff right. And the reality is when you take income from an investment portfolio, the reason I like the formulas used for required minimum distributions is because it's a percentage of the portfolio. And the point I always make is that you can't run out of money if you're always just taking a percentage of whatever is in your portfolio. You know, so if I'm taking 4%, well, it's going to be 4% of some number. If it's 6%, you know, because it goes up as you get older, the distribution percentage goes up. I am taking a percentage. And what I did is I actually walked through history in the workshop using actual returns, client portfolio returns in there. And you can go back and actually look at that. And, and you know, it has all of, you know, what would have happened had I taken a required distribution if I turned... You know, 72, I think it was, is that what I used as a number when I did the workshop. If I turned 72 in the year 2000, and then I took a distribution every year based on the required minimum distribution formula, and would I have kept up with inflation? So it's kind of fun because what's everybody's biggest worry? Bar none. Am I going to run out of money? Am I going to run out of money in retirement? Well, that's what I like about the RMD formulas. And it's because you're just taking a percentage of whatever's there. Now, you can really mess it up and not invest well and have a lot lower income. You won't run out of money, but you're going to end up with a whole lot lower income. That's a whole different problem, and I do address it. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one.
Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.